0: So again, this morning, we're beginning a brand new series called The Road to Victory. It's going to be uh, really uh, a full week's worth of content that is absolutely relevant because we are celebrating Easter week. And this morning, I want to kick off our service with Mark chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. I've entitled this message, The King Has Arrived. Now, verse one, now when the, now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, "'What are you doing loosening the colt?' And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought back the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. The kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The time has come. You know, Easter by far is one of my favorite times of year. Um, It it really seems to bring a sense of hope and of joy into my life. Much like Christmas, it's also a season that, uh, that communicates some of that same hope and joy. In fact, I look at Christmas and Easter as being a form of the beginning and the end. During the Christmas time, it's a time of celebration. We celebrate Jesus' birth into the world. And we call this the season of perpetual hope. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, you, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, you might remember this story. Then the angel said to them, to the shepherds who were out in the field, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice this, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. That is the Christmas story. But today we're beginning the the Easter story. Because there is there is where there is a beginning, there must also be an end. Where we see the beginning of Jesus' life physically on earth, we're going to start to experience Jesus' last week here on the earth um, as he is during that time. So we have Jesus there at Christmas. It was a singular event, it was the birth of Jesus. So Easter though is a combination of many different events, and all of these though, I want you to know, they have a purpose. In fact, today we're going to look at what they call the triumphal entry. Later this week we're going to look at the crucifixion, and then of course on Easter Sunday we are going to look At the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But the wonderful thing about all of these things, his birth, his life, his crucifixion and his resurrection, guys, listen, they are all part of God's story for us. They are all moments that were prophesied. A prophecy is a future promise by God regarding an event that will take place. And we know that even back at the very beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, he says that God created them and they were perfect. He says they were good. They were very good, meaning they were perfect. They were without sin and they walked with God in the cool of the day. That's God's intention for us, to walk with him in our lives. But see, something happened there in the garden of Eden that day. Adam willfully sinned against God. And and the moment that happened though, we see that Satan was there also in the garden. And and listen, he laid the trap. He he put the temptation out there. He's going to tempt us, but we don't have to follow that temptation. But Adam did, listen, and when he did, he willfully ate of the fruit. And when he willfully ate of the fruit, he sinned against God. And thus, listen, listen, that fellowship that we had with God was broken. And so God put a plan in motion that day. In fact, the very first prophecy, the very first promise that God would ever put for us was there in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, right afterwards. And here, listen, here God is speaking to Satan and he's letting Him know that the plan that he has for us to redeem us is going to be um, a plan that cannot be stopped. And listen, it is a plan that is going to crush his plans to ruin us. In verse 15, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed. And he, this is the seed, Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In Luke chapter 1 verse 68, we see the fulfillment of these things beginning to take place. In verse uh, 68, he says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn or strength of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. Everything that we're gonna be talking about Not just in this story, but all the things that we're going to look at this week in this week-long journey have been prophesied. They have been ordained by God from the beginning. So in other words, when man messed things up, God was there to give a promise of hope to us that he will one day do what needs to be done, that one day he will raise up for us salvation. He will expose us to, he will bring to us this place of hope, this place of joy, because God will undo what Satan had done. Don't you love it when someone keeps their promise? Don't you love it when someone does exactly what they say they're going to do? They may sound like a strange statement, but let's be honest. I find that in today's, well, just in the way that things are going today, it's really hard to find people who will constantly do what they say they're going to do. The Bible says that we should let our yes be yes. In other words, that, that if we're going to commit to something, we should do our best to do that. But listen, we fail one another. I will fail you at some point in time. The people around you will fail you. You will fail one another. But this is the promise that God will never fail us. God, if he has declared it, if he has said it, it's not a matter of if it will happen. It is a matter of when it will happen. And so the Lord has told us to be patient and to wait upon him. And in doing so, God will do what he said he was going to do. And this is that moment. Jesus was born to us as God said that he would. He, he came and he lived a life. For 33 years, he lived upon this earth. And he lived the life that we were called to live. We couldn't do it, so he had to come and to do it for us. And everything that's happening right now is part of that story. Jesus is finally making his way. After three years of public ministry, he has finally made his way to Jerusalem. And while he has been to to Jerusalem many times over, he is here at this time and a specific time in a specific place for a specific purpose. He's been going all throughout Israel doing the work that his father had called him to do. Remember what he told his earthly parents, that he must be about his father father's business and so here jesus and the disciples they are they're uh coming to jerusalem which was the custom at this time of year this was the time of passover now i'm going to cover passover a great deal more throughout the week but passover was a time throughout the year where where the jews would come to jerusalem and they would give a sacrifice um of of themselves to um uh to the lord And then this was the time of year where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and there would be a sacrifice where the blood of this innocent animal would be sprinkled upon the mercy seat and the sins of the people would be forgiven for a period of one year. And so it wasn't uncommon for the Jews to come to Jerusalem at this time. In fact, it would be about 3 million Jews or so during the time of Jesus that would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. But notice this, it says there in verse one that there were these two towns, Bethpage and Bethany, which would be really staging areas for Jesus. So while he wouldn't stay in Jerusalem, he would stay in these outer cities. And Bethany was about two miles away. It was about 2,600 feet above sea level. So in other words, when Jesus would go and stay in this place, he would be able to look out over the city of Jerusalem. And he would, be able to, he would be able to see what's happening there. But listen, as this was happening, Jesus is telling his disciples that they need to go and they need to grab a few things. The first thing that he told them that he wants them to get is to go and to get a donkey. Now listen, if I was to tell you that a donkey was a majestic animal, you guys would probably laugh at me. In fact, some of you are probably laughing thinking, wow, this guy's crazy. A donkey? But you have to remember that in Israel this time, that the donkey was a symbol of something more than just what we would see a donkey as today. In fact, in First Kings chapter 1, we see that these, these mules, these donkeys, were actually kingly animals. In verse 33, it says, Then King David also said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. So during this particular time, if a king was to come in, they would come in not on what we would think today, these large majestic horses. No, listen, they would come in on these lowly mules. And this was a fulfillment of the prophecy that God had given about the Messiah, that when he would come, He would also ride on such a beast. In Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine, he says, "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. "'Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. "'Behold, your king is coming to you. "'He is just and having salvation, "'lowly and riding on a donkey, "'a colt, the foal of a donkey.'" And so Jesus is going to have these men go and grab this animal. He said that they were to go to a specific place at a specific time. And if anyone was even to question them, they only need to say these things that the master has need of it and everything will be okay. Now, some people think, well, you know, that's stealing. No, listen, the moment the, the disciples went and they encountered those people, when those people asked that question, all they said was what the, what the Lord told them to say, that the Lord has use of it, and they let him take it. And so they would bring this animal to Jesus. Listen, I, I want to say this to you. If you don't know Jesus, I, I guess if there was a few things that I would really want you to know about him, I want you to know this. Number one, he is loving. Jesus is the epitome of love. He's the very definition of love. And if you need to know if God loves you, then you only need to stop and look at Jesus. Because the Bible tells us that that Jesus was the manifestation of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that God demonstrated his love. So it wasn't even just an emotion, but there was an action tied to this love. He says God demonstrated his his love towards us that even while we were sinners, Christ would die for the ungodly. But if there's something else about Jesus that I want you to know about, I want you to know that, that he's lowly. He doesn't doesn't lord over people. He doesn't oppress people. He doesn't hold them down. Now listen, he lowers himself even below them that he might lift them up. And this is further demonstration of that. In fact, even just a few weeks ago, we looked in our study in Matthew, we looked at Matthew chapter 11, and we see that Jesus gives this invitation. He gives an invitation for people to come to him to experience his nature. He said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, come to me, all you who labor and, listen, are heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest He says, take my yoke, take my way upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Why? He says, for my yoke is easy. My way is easy and my burden is light. Everything that's happening with Jesus, it's happening in a way that is not flamboyant. Jesus is expressing the nature of God, the nature of God, though he is grand and glorious in all his ways. We know that he's gentle and he's humble. Today though would be different. Today was going to be a different day. This day was marked as a day ordained by the father. You know, many people had been following Jesus. They had witnessed all his teachings. They heard him teach um, directly to them. Many people profited from all the different miracles. They profited in healings. They profited in feedings. They profited in having um, the demons cast out and, and so many awesome miracles that Jesus did. They benefited from that. But did you notice that up until this time, Jesus had always told them, listen, don't say anything. Now is not the time to honor me. Just listen, go and and just tell people the great things that God has done for you. But in terms of honoring me, now is not the time. But today, today is different. Today would be the day as promised. You see, there would be a stir in the air. The people, listen, would see Jesus and they would watch intently. They would pay attention to all the different things that he was doing. And all of a sudden, listen, when Jesus comes and there's this, there's this donkey, the, the, the men would throw their clothes on top of it, providing a, a type of saddle for the king to ride upon. And as Jesus would, would make his way on this donkey towards the gate, as he's, as he's coming into Jerusalem, listen, the people would be stirred up because they would recognize that something unique is happening. Something special was going on and people would begin to praise him. They would begin to honor him. They would let the, 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 the truth of who he is be mixed with, with the essence of who they were. Created in the image of God and here is Messiah, God in human flesh there before him. And there he is making his way into Jerusalem as it was prophesied. Now, what's interesting here, listen, is that during this particular time, we know that what, Rome ruled the world, right? Caesar was, in their estimation, they they proclaimed Caesar as God. And they certainly knew how to honor people uh, for their um, victorious exploits. You know, if a general would go out to battle and he would lead his army in, in a conquest if he was able to take 5,000 lives, if he was able to uh, capture treasures and bring back slaves, that they would throw this massive parade, this huge celebration for him the general would come in and he would be riding in a golden chariot and he would be pulled by these magnificent horses and there would be people gathered all around him, cheering and shouting his name. The priests would be burning incense to honor him. But here we see the difference between the world and God. God did not command that a parade be thrown for him. No, listen, he didn't have to. Why? Because it was a response of the people. Those people that were following around him, they loved him. He took care of them. And all of a sudden, things started becoming clear that this was the Messiah, We know that because in verse 10, they said this, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They knew not just what they were saying, but they knew whom they were saying it to. You see, Jesus would be honored by the people, but still in a very humble way. Listen, he didn't have to kill 5,000 people. Now listen, he came to save. He came to seek and to save the, those who were lost. We know from the book of Acts, Jesus told them, listen, all authority and power has been given to me. That's what he said at the end of the Gospels. But he said, listen, go and wait because, listen, that I'm going to empower you is what he said. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you and the work that I'm going to continue to do, I'm going to do it in your life, but then I'm going to do it through your life. And we know that in Acts chapter 2 and later again in Acts chapter 4, that 3,000 were saved and then 2,000 were saved. So Jesus did not come to kill 5,000. He came to save. And we see a demonstration of that. They would bring these treasures back from their conquests. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't place value in gold or silver. No, he would give to us an inheritance. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting there in verse 3, he tells us that. He tells us that he's given to us an inheritance that is incorruptible. It cannot be corrupted. It cannot be taken away from us. It's reserved in heaven for us. He didn't come to take things for himself. He came to give us an inheritance. The Roman general would come back parading all the slaves that he brought back. And he would use those slaves in some sort of a contest later on where where those slaves would be fed to the wild animals as sport. Jesus did no such things. In fact, he didn't come bringing back slaves. He came to set the captives free. He came to eliminate slavery, the slavery of sin that had dominion over us. Jesus breaks that through his life, his death, and resurrection and while the general would be pulled in a chariot of gold by these majest, these majestic horses jesus came riding on a on a donkey he didn't come in an earthly king's way he came in a heavenly king's way he came on a servant's animal and that denotes his nature Our God is a serving God. Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come on this earth to be served, but to serve and, listen, to give his life as a ransom for many. The priest would burn incense in the name of the general. But listen, Jesus Christ is our faithful high priest. And the high priest, if you don't know, was a representation of man to God, but then also a representation of God to man. There's two scriptures that I want to read to you that, that I thought about when I, when I read this. And, and uh, in Hebrews chapter two, verse 17, he says, therefore, in all things, in every way, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren that he might be a faithful and merciful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people to be a substitutionary payment for the sins of the people. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul said this, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so these crowds, as they were gathered together and as they were watching Jesus, the Messiah, riding in, they began to lavish out attention and praise and honor to Jesus. Not everybody would do that. But these people, they would. In fact, they would grab their clothes off their their body and they began to throw them out into the street. You know, people would take roses and they would throw out roses or they would take petals and they would drop them down for important people. They would lay out the red carpet, so to speak, to give honor to the person that they wouldn't walk on anything defiled or dirty, but that they would be able to walk over something clean and beautiful. So even their praise was a great expense to them. And yet they willingly, willingly gave it. But the religious leaders, they weren't happy about this. No, listen, they weren't happy about this at all. They knew exactly what was happening They knew that the people were proclaiming that the Messiah had come. And if you remember the religious leaders of the day, they weren't trying to honor Jesus. They were trying to kill Jesus. Many times over we see they were plotting to take his life. In fact, in Luke 19, we know what they said. He says this in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Listen, when God comes and he is revealed as who he is, listen, if the people won't, the earth will. I think back to Exodus chapter 19, and I believe it's there in verse 18, that we see that that Moses had gone to meet with the Lord and the people had stayed behind and as Moses began to approach the Lord, that, that we see the clouds began to form. That fire would shoot up seemingly out of the, um, the, the mountain. And, and listen, there would be thunderings and lightnings and the whole earth quaked. The earth could not contain the presence of God as he, as he came down to meet And Jesus is reminding them, listen, if the people don't cry out, the earth will respond because he is there. You know, earlier I talked about how Jesus came in a lowly place. He came as a humble servant. You know, this last Wednesday, we we looked There in Revelation chapter 5. And we saw that Jesus was being presented in heaven. And there he was at the center of the universe. There he was at the center of the throne room of God. All eyes were on him. The heavenly creatures. All of the elders thousands upon ten, thousands upon ten, thousands and thousands of thousands, it says, were all watching him. And listen, when, the, when Jesus came and he took the scroll because he alone was worthy, everyone bowed down to him. You know, in Philippians chapter two, he tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those On the earth, those above the earth, those under the earth, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But did you notice that right here in this moment, not everyone did. Why? Listen, when Jesus came, he concealed a part of himself. Listen, if we were to open up Jesus and to look at his spirit, we wouldn't be able to handle it. Remember when Moses, he desired to see the Lord. He's like, I want to see you. And and God said to him, listen, you can't see me. No man can look upon me as I am and live. He said, but I tell you what, I'm going to pass by you. And listen, the essence of my glory is going to trail behind me. And listen, so he passes by Moses And Moses has his face buried deep in the cleft of the rock. He's got his eyes shut and he's doing everything he can not to look until God says that it's okay. And so as he passes by, God says to Moses, okay, go ahead, sneak a peek. And he he just kind of sees that the back trailing edge of the glory of God And his face, the Shekinah glory, grabs his face and it lights it up. And it's so bright and it's so glorious that when he went down, the people said, we can't stand to look at you in this way, Moses. It's too great for us. Conceal yourself. And so our God, our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus, He clothed himself as one of us. And he went through every temptation and every trial that you and I would ever have to go through. He went through for us. And where you and I have failed, he has succeeded. And every time he succeeded on our behalf, Listen, he said, Listen, don't honor me yet. Don't honor me yet. Don't honor me yet. But today is not that day. Now, listen, today, that day was also a fulfillment in another place. You see, there was another prophecy spoken about. And when they praised him, they praised him scripturally. Meaning, listen, that when they praised him, they, the, the words that they were saying was a fulfillment of scripture. In Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29, I want to read this to you. Because in the reading of this, listen, this is what the people were proclaiming. Starting in verse 19 of Psalm 118, it says this, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them. And I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone which the the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was Jesus This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. That's that word, Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy is good. His mercy endures forever. Hosanna. Save now. That's that's the cry. I don't know what you've been going through lately, but if it's anything like what I've been going through lately, this was an ointment to my soul. Save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people were recognizing the one who is able to save them, who was willing to save them, who has the ability to save them. He has arrived. The religious leaders, listen, they were looking for Jesus to come in a military sense. But listen, that's only temporary. And that was at the second coming. But the first coming needed to take place. Because Jesus had come to do what needed to be done most, and that was to save them spiritually, to save them eternally. This proclamation, guys, was one of praise. It was one of honor. It was giving to him the glory that was due to his name. And guys, listen, this should be the response of our heart Listen, if, if you are God's child, if you, have ha- if you have asked for Jesus to be your savior, to be your Lord, then this should be the outflow of your heart continuously towards the Lord. We have no time to complain. We have no mur- time to murmur or to backbite. We have no time to put one another down. Listen, if we got our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, then the thing that comes forth from our life will be that of praise will be that of honor and glory to his name and what better way to honor and glorify him him than to love one another as God has called us to love to love him with all of our heart soul mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves what better way can we honor Jesus and to worship him and praise him by continuing to let him live his life through our lives that's what was going on in the hearts of the people. Listen, guys, if God wants to hear our words, then praise him with your words. Hosea 14:2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, "Take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, graciously, for we offer the sacrifice of our lips." If God wants to hear us in the song, then praise him in the song. Psalm 100 verse two, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. If God wants us to stand and to raise our hands in praise, then do it. Psalm 134 verse one and two, behold, bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Today is the first day. It's the beginning of the week that we call Easter week. And I found it so fitting that today would be the the Sunday that we choose to honor Jesus with our whole heart, to honor him with our words, to honor him with our actions, to honor him in every way. And I can't think a better way of honoring him than to take communion, to take communion and have that moment with the Lord, but to do that together as a church family. So now is that time. I want you to grab the elements I want you to grab the the juice and your bread and I want you just to take a moment and just quiet your heart. This is the time that Jesus wants to spend with you personally. You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul had received instruction from the Lord. And and he said this, he says, Jesus' words were, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. How can we take communion without remembering Jesus? If it's true communion, we can't. Because listen, true communion is about Jesus. It's about remembering Jesus. Who he is. He's gentle. He's lowly. He's humble. He's a servant. But he's powerful. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. And he's everywhere at once in the fullness of who he is. And it's in him, church, that we live. That we move, that we have our being. And, And listen, what you hold in your hand is a representation of what Jesus is going to go through for us during that last week of his life. The bread represents his body. And Jesus says, This is my body that was broken for you. He says, This represents. The blood, the blood that would be shed for the remission or for the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And listen, Jesus would shed his precious blood for you and for me. And so I want to remind you that as we're about to take communion, to remember what Jesus would do for you. That that this here, this could be your body. This here could represent your blood. But my body is tainted with sin. My blood is insufficient to cover my sin, much less anyone else's. But that's the joy of taking Communion together. That that's the joy of experiencing Jesus right now. Listen, the bread, the blood, the body, the blood, they represent a new covenant, Jesus said. A new promise. The first covenant that God made with us, we broke. The second covenant would be fulfilled by Jesus that can never be broken. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going we're to remember this new covenant. We're going to remember this moment. We're, we're going to partake of this together. So listen, be, before we take of the bread, I, I want you to just to close your eyes wherever you're at. And I want you to remember what the Lord has redeemed you from. Remember your testimony. Give thanks to the Lord. For his body that was broken. Lord, we thank you. That you bore. You took upon your own body. All of our sin. The wages of sin is death. And you took this upon your own body in our place. And Lord, we do this in remembrance of you. Church, take the bread and eat of it. This is the body of Christ. So there Jesus' body taking the sin of the world upon it. It would be His blood. That would be the very thing that God would use to wash away all of our sin. I love that song, right? What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Church, I want you to know that every drop of blood that Jesus shed for us was an act of love. But I also want you to know that it was absolutely necessary. There was no other way. And so Jesus willingly spilt his blood so that we could be washed Remember in Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, God said, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. He said, though your sin is like scarlet, I will make you white as snow. Jesus' blood was necessary to make us white as snow, to make us right in his eyes through faith in his name. If there is sin in your life right now, just close your eyes and just confess it to God. He says, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you through this blood, through his blood, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To confess just means to agree with God. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness of our sin. We thank you that your blood, your righteous, sinless blood, washes us, cleanses us, makes us whole again. And thank you, Lord, that your blood (laughs) is in a place of perpetual cleaning over our lives. This is the blood of Christ. Take and drink. Lord, we want to thank you for this time today in your word. And Lord, we want to offer up to you the fruit of our lips. Lord, we want to offer up to you all that we are. Jesus, we thank you that it's called the triumphal entry because Lord you would not be hindered in any way. You would not be stopped, Lord, from fulfilling the promise. And Lord, we thank you so much, God, that though that, that we have nothing of ourselves to give. Lord, you said to us that you would take us as we are. Lord, you saw the value in us when no one else did, including ourselves. And thank you, Lord, that you make us whole, that you make us perfect without spot and without blemish. And so, Lord, we celebrate you today. We magnify your name. All glory, all honor, all majesty and power, all wisdom, it's all yours, Lord. We, we, just, we just willfully, Lord, Humble our hearts before you in worship and praise. And we love you, God. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. Lord, if there's anyone out there today who is hurting, who feels condemned, if they feel lonely or rejected, maybe they're anxious, maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're just overwhelmed by their current circumstance, whatever it might may be. Lord, thank you that you will receive them where they're at. You said that you will not break a bruised reed. You said a a smoking wick you will not put out. Lord, bind up and heal. Lord, today, your people. Fan the flame of hope in our life, God. Give us, Lord God, a peace in our hearts that can only come from you. Jesus, you said, my peace I give to you. You told us to be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. Thank you, Jesus. Just meet Lord, meet your people where they're at. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.